fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try to What is going on, Wolfpack? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, RotoStreetJournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves here with a record guest now, up to 10 times. The reason we keep having him back, because it's always one of my favorite shows of the year, maybe the favorite show of the year, is Mr. Pro Football Focus's Ian Harditz at iHarditz on Twitter. Their lead analyst over there. He hosts the PFF Fantasy Football Pod and is among, again, as I said, my favorite people to talk ball with. Harditz, thank you so much for coming back on, man. How's it going? Good to be back, man. Appreciate you having me. Didn't realize we had double digits. Let's freaking go. But yeah, no, we've, uh, you know, been talking for years now and no, uh, really no one else in the industry I'd rather, you know, have a midday beer with in the middle of June and talk a little bit of ball. So cheers, brother. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, we got a good agenda here on tap. Absolutely. We're basing the agenda off one of your favorite series. You've done it wherever you've been writing, and you've got quite the uh, the resume there, spots you've hit. It's that 100 fantasy questions in 100 days. I always love this one. You hit three questions per team plus a bonus few, which I love the creative ones you got on that list coming up later uh, for the, the season here. Uh, but we can't really hit all 100 as much as I'd love to just sit here and talk ball with you for like the next month straight and uh, go over all 100. I've taken 10 of my favorites it's stuff that we haven't really discussed on the podcast, on the show to kind of give our listeners some new info, new takes. And I just can't wait to dive into all of them. You ready to go, my man? Let's get it, man. Awesome. This one's one of the most important, one of my favorites. And it's going to have a quick follow up to this one. But what should we expect from Michael Thomas in the post Breeze era? What are you thinking, Harditz? Spent so much time yelling about Michael Thomas today already, man. Because that damn Roto World clickbait headline guy in the athletic wrote a good article about how Michael Thomas and excuse me, not Michael Thomas, how Jameis Winston does thrown to each individual route. And he had a drop off in slants from 2018 to 2019. Michael Thomas never said he's concerned about Winston's accuracy. Oh my gosh. But man, he's going to be just fine. Like the amount of slander this guy gets. I understand if you don't want to say he's better than Julio. He's not. He's not a top five real life receiver. He's still a freaking, I think you'd be hard pressed to name 10 better guys than him. And especially in fantasy land, because all that volume that led him to freaking wide receiver one honors and the most reception in NFL history two years ago, that's all yeah. still there. And now he actually has a quarterback. Hopefully fingers crossed. James wants a job, which we'll talk about in a second, but hopefully for the first time in three years, he'll have a quarterback that could throw the ball more than 30 yards downfield. I know he like Drew Brees was even when he was quote unquote washed his arm strength still top of the league and you know completion rate yards per attempt like it was kind of nice having someone like Michael Thomas that can make the most out of all these slants and crossers the idea that Michael Thomas is the one holding back this passing game or his route tree is absurd he has made Teddy Bridgewater and even Taysom freaking Hill look yep. good for extended stretches man you know he, okay he got shut out against Carlton Davis in the playoffs like that was unfortunate look at that passing game in that game. Alvin Kamara had 20 receiving yards. Are we saying, are we writing him off because of one bad game? So look, he played through pain all season long. 
wasn't a good move to punch Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the face. He's pretty annoying on Twitter, objectively. He's been off lately, but, you know, when he's just randomly going at Devontae Parker over some Bleacher Report thing, like, I get it. He's not the easiest guy to be a big fan of, but people, just in terms of projected targets in fantasy football, you got to sign up sign up for him. He's not wide receiver six. Very much undervalued by the industry right now. Yeah, falling to round three. I, I don't get it. You know, 32.5% target share just a year ago. As you mentioned, 186 total for the career, you know, NFL record 149. Just insane volume. Led every single targets, receptions, receiving yards, all of it. I mean, the guy is a monster. So I am with you. I'm discounting that that bad year, regardless of who the QB is. I mean, he had his two best games of the year last year with Taysom Hill. So if that's his worst case, he had over 19 in two games with Taysom Hill. Like, that's the worst case. I'll take it all day. So I'm back in there. End of round two, it's a steal to me to get that guy. So I absolutely love it. And Wolfpack, if you don't mind giving this a like, a thumbs up, regardless of where you're at, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, any shares, likes, comments, always so appreciated to help us continue to grow. It's the easiest, freest way to just help us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you guys so much. Well, speaking of Michael Thomas's quarterback situation, who should we root for? between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill? It seems like an obvious answer, but I wonder what your take is on this one. It's Jameis. Like, good yeah. for Michael Thomas on making the most out of four Taysom Hill starts. But, not, like, this tells you all you need to know about this situation. When people are like, wow, like, we really want Taysom Hill to win this quarterback competition for Michael Thomas. Like, shut up. Listen to yourself. Like, come on, man. Taysom Hill, like, okay. He is probably a little bit better than a lot of people, including myself, like to give him credit for as a thrower of the football. But my goodness, dude, I still just think of that duck he threw. I think it was against the Falcons, like triple crow hop, Emmanuel Sanders just had to come sprinting back. It looked like it hit like the ceiling or something. And no, it's, oh my God. Like we can all accept that Taysom, that Teddy are objectively below average quarterbacks. And it just didn't matter for Michael Thomas. Jameis Winston just threw for 5,000 yards yeah. two years ago, man. Like you can take your slant accuracy stats and, you know, go to hell with them because I just don't think it matters when we have Michael Thomas going downfield and he's been given a catchable ball. He has actually posted the fourth highest rate on those passes, 20 yards downfield since entering the league. He just only has 36 opportunities because Drew Brees hasn't made a habit of that. Jameis has. So it's weird to say like we could be looking at an untapped ceiling from a guy that has already broke the freaking single season reception record that yeah. might actually be the case here with Michael Thomas. I 100% agree. I mean, he just sustained Jameis Winston, as you mentioned, 5,000 yards, led the NFL in attempts and yards, I think passing touchdowns too, quarterback four that year in fantasy, but also sustained Chris Godwin, the number two receiver, and Mike Evans, also top 10 in points per game. So when you have no one else to throw to outside, I mean, Traycon Smith, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> we, all of that passing volume could be going to Michael Thomas would be insane. So Bro, I'm and, with you. Let's go, Jameis. Let's go. Yeah, and also, like, for Alvin Kamara, fantasy football managers out there, like, every time my running back ranks get tweeted out, I always have people bitching at me about why is mm -hmm. Alvin Kamara a low-end RB1. It's yeah. because that's what he was last year when Taysom Hill was under center, and honestly, he kind of got bailed out by a pretty high touchdown rate in those games. They don't give him 200 carries. Like, they just don't. Latavius Murray is there. They're going to continue to feature him. If he's not catching 80 passes, he'll still be solid, but he's not going to be the game-breaking RB1 that we've seen over the past few seasons. So, Jameis, like, even if he's under center, we have some concern because he's been such a high average target depth quarterback throughout his career. I'm not convinced he's going to be dicking and dunking as much. But Taysom Hill, man, he just, like – 
you know, sucks in all the energy from everybody around him, all the fantasy points from all the players whenever they put him under center. It'd be great for Taysom if he's under center. That's it. Like Adam Troutman would would sink. All these guys would sink if Taysom Hill was under center, but Taysom Hill would then be the prime late-round quarterback. So I don't know, man. Maybe we should start drafting Taysom Hill. Maybe that's the moral of the story because it's sounding more and more like he has a real chance to win this job. Which is insane. And, yeah, this is definitely among the most insane and most important quarterback battles and just in intriguing storylines for the rest of the preseason to make sure you watch for all the reasons listed by Ian there because of how the offensive shifts, but also how valuable Taysom can be. I think he, I'm not mistaken, was the QB2 at worst QB3 over the span of his starts. So he would have some insane in value, as would, you know, J- James Winston could be an insane value. And both guys go outside your first 15, 16 rounds. So best ball wise, I, I love just going for both of them and seeing what happens. Worst case would be just a sickening like committee duo that just sucks each other's value out. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope we get Jameis. And if it's not, then draft all the Taysom Hill. I love it. Uh, great question here. Is it officially J.K. Dobbins RB1 season? That's such an intriguing class of sophomore backs. They're all so talented. He seems to be the one that not many people are talking about, though. What are your thoughts on this guy? Can he is he getting overlooked amongst those sophomores? Can he be an RB one? I don't think so. I think he's going about the right spot. I have my RB eighteen. I think his ADP uh, underdog last time I looked was as the RB seventeen. Like. He's just not going to get the volume, people. Oh, so much of what we do just comes down to volume. Like Dobbins is so freaking good, man. I, you know, he's one of I think five or six guys to average six yards per carry in a single season since 2010. It's him, CJ Spiller, Adrian Peterson, Alvin Kamara, and Jamal Charles. Like great list to already be on. And like he passes the, you know, take you can say Ian, take your stats and go to hell. Like put on the freaking film then, and you're going to see this dude slippery as all hell and with some jets when he gets the open lane. The problem is Lamar Jackson owns the top three single season records for a QB in rush attempts. And he's done it in each of his three damn seasons as a starter. We have Gus Edwards, who right now is only behind Nick Chubb in yards per carry since 2018. Cool. Nick Chubb is way better than Gus Edwards, but Gus <laughs> is not going away. Like he's still there. And, you know, we got some questions later, but like I wouldn't be shocked if the Baltimore Ravens even add someone else to almost like kind of take over for Mark Ingram. I wouldn't be shocked if Justice Hill kind of takes over for Mark Ingram. Not, it doesn't. Look, Dobbins is going to lead the team in touches, but there's a difference between leaving, leading the team with 300 touches or 200 touches, which I think he should be projected far closer to. So Lamar, you know, even if he takes a step forward as a passer, like I don't think it's going to be passing to the running backs. It's just a bad situation, man. It's almost kind of like what we were just talking about with Taysom Hill. Like when we have a quarterback with this many rush attempts, it's just hard for anybody else in the offense to truly eat unless we're getting a bunch of touchdowns. So maybe that works with Dobbins. That's the path. We saw with Mark Ingram when he scored like 15 times but the problem was I mean that was pretty fluky if we look back on it he had like five receiving scores on like 25 catches or something absurd so hey I'm you know bullish on the Ravens getting a lot better with you know Bateman with Wallace Ronnie Stanley's gonna Mm -hmm. play more than six games I mean like Lamar Jackson for as much as people want to hate on this guy what's the quarterback's job put up points. The Ravens have scored more points over the past two regular seasons than any other team. Unfortunately, I'm just not positive it's going to be all that fantasy-friendly of a situation for his running backs. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, they've only targeted the running back 62 times in back-to-back seasons, second fewest in both of those years. And I don't see that improving with Rashad Bateman there, even if the old offense does take a step forward. Maybe that does increase his touchdown chances. Sure, that would be nice. Uh, But ultimately, I'm with you there. Uh, I'm not buying him. He's probably the lowest of the sophomore backs. Well, maybe DeAndre Swift these days with all this 
madness going on. Yeah. Todd Gurley lands there. The one thing I did notice with Dobbins, though, if you look at his games with 10 or more carries, and I don't think that's an ambitious mark to set for him. There was only eight games last year. He averaged over 15 fantasy points per game as compared to six in the games where he saw under those carries. So when he gets the steady volume, he does perform and, and he can describe in this run scheme. They did make him a luxury pick last year. So maybe just maybe they hand those keys over and just ride the guy. I mean, he would be a league winner if that happens. Fingers crossed. And you'd be getting a, a sick value there. I don't see it. I'm with you. I don't see that happening, but there is a bit of a ceiling. So if he's there like late round three and Michael Thomas is already gone, then yeah, maybe I can go in on J.K. Dobbins for sure. Uh, what about this guy, Mr. Odell Beckham? Are you buying the Odell Beckham comeback season? Yeah, because we don't have to buy the usual version of Beckham, which is like a top 10 receiver. Right now he's going as a wide receiver 29, which I don't even think is like that egregious of a an ADP. Like I understand it, but I think he's a great target right there in that range. I mean, look. 2019, as bad as that was, he was a wide receiver 25. Last year, in weeks one through six before he got hurt, he was a wide receiver 19. Like, we can buy Beckham at his floor instead of his ceiling for the first time in his career, pretty much, or at least since his rookie season. And look, people, he hasn't been great on the Browns. I understand that. I've watched the games. But the bigger issue has just been volume. I mean, with the Giants, 2014 to 2018, always averaged over 10 targets per game in every single season. 2019, he was at 8.3. 2020, he was just at 7, even when you take away, you know, the two-snap uh, game where he got hurt. So with Beckham, he's only averaged 0.5 fewer yards per target with the Browns than he did in his last three years with the Giants. You know, we still haven't seen him play with the best version of Baker Mayfield yet. That guy was gone in 2019. He was gone for the first bit of 2020. Spare me the freaking argument that Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, or Daryl Hodge are better as a freaking NFL wide receiver than OBJ. <laughs> Just stop it. What it is is Baker, yeah, he's better when he throws the ball to the guy that the coverage and the play dictates it should go to. He shouldn't be trying to force feed Beckham the ball, and we were seeing that to start last season. Like, okay, they got railroaded by the Ravens and the Steelers. They scored over 30 points in every other game Beckham was in. There's this idea like this offense wasn't putting up like these big points with Beckham in there and that just really wasn't the case so you know OBJ is someone that I think is a little bit unfairly dropping in these uh you know just fancy ADPs at least that I'm seeing right now and I'm fine to buy them because again man anytime like we should always be trying to get players near their floor than their ceiling and for Beckham like we could see an increase in volume I think year two in Stefanski's offense he just he's a better fit there than Landry we saw that and Baker again if he keeps playing as well as he did last year like we're going to finally get that potential wide receiver one year that everyone including myself have been so hyped about ever since he got to Cleveland I know. He burned me so hard that first year he got there. It's been tough for me to recover. And he has only been a top 24 receiver 26% of the time, top 12 just 13% of the time since arriving in Cleveland. So I am a little bit nervous. But as you mentioned, when it's baked into that price, wide receiver 29, I'd have to look and see what type of running backs and receivers are going there. But I imagine the opportunity cost isn't too high at that, that point to get a talent like Odell Beckham, who I, as quickly as I fizzled on him, he also won me like – uh, when that rookie year season, when he went crazy, I won four out of five. Like I, I have a soft spot in my heart for him. Too, so maybe I need to warm back up to Odell Beckham rebounding, especially when you can buy him at his floor this year. Yeah. I wonder, do, do you think they'll throw it more after ranking 28th in pass attempts, 31 per game last year? Do you see that changing at all when they still have Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt, probably the best duo in the NFL right now? Or do you think the, the quality just increases now? 
think we see them open it up a little bit more. I mean, yeah. Baker, really towards the end of last year when he started to get hot, they were throwing the ball a little bit more. I don't know the specific ranks, but it really was weird, man, how we got those games. I'm looking at his game log now. We had the Raiders, the Texans, and the Eagles. There's three straight games in Cleveland that, like, every single one was that game you just circled Sunday morning, like, way too much rain and wind. I'm not even going to worry about this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we we saw some we saw the shootouts, man. The defense is going to be a little bit better uh, than last year. So, it's a a little bit of a leap of faith on my part but again when you can get the guy at his floor and you're kind of hoping for that to become the case i'm a little more okay with it but yeah i'm higher on baker than some people too going this year so come on guys don't burn don't burn me like don't burn me like 2019 again come on i'm with you i I really think that way baker finished it he could go a full year like that and if he does great news for odell great news for i mean landry another great value right now in drafts if you buy that narrative. So I, I'm with you there. I'm landing a lot of Baker Landry and maybe got to start mixing some more Odell stacks in uh best ball right like now. This so, offense, you know, Stefanski is the Vikings of the AFC. We've seen yeah. the Vikings enable plenty of fantasy relevant high end fantasy wide receivers, True. even with Dalvin cook, absolutely eating. I mean, when they can ideally build this offense as, you know, the play action, you know, deep shot juggernaut, they want it to be, that's going to be like great fantasy friendly targets for Beckham. So even if he's not going to have the 150 plus, you know, target workload, we might got in New York. Again, if we get that great version of Baker and a higher average target death role, which he had for most of last year, that's when, uh, you know, that's when we hit. I like it. I like the narrative a lot. What I don't like is the Texans. Good Lord. Could we talk about an uglier team right now? But what will they look like without Deshaun Watson? And are you going to care about anybody on this team? Should he be gone? Not really, man. Brandon Cooks is the only guy, kind of, because he's always, you know, just been pretty damn good, except for when he got the bad version of Jared Goff in 2019, I believe it was. I mean, credit to Cooks. I know he's got the concussion injuries, but he's only missed, uh, I think, three total games since his rookie year. So he's actually been able to stay on the field uh, uh, very well over the past few years. I mean, we kind of get stink for that, but it's not really rooted in reality. The problem is, like, who knows who the quarterback is going to be? It's going to be Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills. Even Jeff Driscoll, who is like wildly entertaining, even though he's an awful quarterback, but that's a story for another day. So Brandon Cooks, like he is the de facto number one here, but everything behind him is so crowded. Like name, name your favorite, like 15th round fantasy wide receiver from 2016. He's probably on the Texans right now. Like Dante Moncrief, Chris Conley. Alex Harrison, Kiki Cutie, Randall Cobb, Andre Roberts, Taiwan Taylor. Like, I like Nico Collins, and he could easily rise up to the top of this, but to expect more than one fancy relevant receiver to come out of this group, I don't know, man. Miss me with that. In this backfield, like, it just gets more comical by the day, adding Rex Burkhead to it. It was already like, don't touch this. Why is Mark Ingram there? Why is Philip Lindsay there? Oh, David Johnson is still there. I have, you know, not even thought about drafting a Texans running back. Like, yes, I was kind of just reshuffling some of my running back ranks yesterday and i was like david johnson i mean like at what point would you even feel comfortable taking this guy i'm not sure if there's a round like even if david johnson's in there in round 15 i'd be like yeah you know you have to think it over so just just complete free falls man just stay away from this offense i think it's a great summary there's no reason to touch any texans i guess the one like thing you could imagine happening is their defense looks pretty horrible on the same end so like At a certain point, you'd think they have to put up points to keep pace with whoever's destroying them on the other end. But I could just see them just being a complete, like, just steamrolled every single week. They put up 10 <laughs> points themselves. They gave up 40, and it's just a, an awful, awful season. You got to, I mean, respect the commitment to the uh, the rebuild, I guess. But ultimately, yeah, I'm, I'm going nowhere. Even Brandon Cooks, like, 
I love how you compare him to the the reverse of uh, Allen Robinson. Like he's just oh, yeah. had the most beautiful quarterbacks, and he's, he's performed well because of it. But the one bad season he had was a bad Jared Goff. Like, can he overcome bad volume? I don't know. I don't think so. And uh, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm with you. I don't see any reason to touch this in the uh, Deshaun Watson-less era by any means. Yeah, Brady Breeze and Watson. Like, who's running hotter than Brandon Cooks with his Seriously. TVs? Like, unreal. Does not get any better than that. Oh, man. Uh, and another backfield that is not that attractive, but that's also baked into their prices. So maybe, just maybe, something could emerge here. Should zero RB faithful buy into the Zach Moss and Devin Singletary backfield of the Bills? What are your thoughts? Not so much Singletary. I think we've kind of seen that run its course. I mean, even last year when uh, Moss was missing time, like we saw TJ Yeldon actually getting a lot more run uh, as kind of the weeks went on with that. So Singletary, he's fine, but we've seen the Bills now tell us that they don't really trust him to be their full-time back. Zach Moss, I think the jury is still out on that. And the place where he's going in fantasy drafts, you know, just shortly after like Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon, Michael Carter, Damon ha- uh, Harris, James Robinson. Like I'm not saying I, you know, necessarily take him over all those guys but it's a good spot for him like i think it's reasonable and you know if you're zero rb faithful out there like you should be looking at this guy so you know i don't think he's incredible but hey the bill's offense is pretty incredible and i don't think josh allen is going to score eight rushing touchdowns every single season of his career so that's the hope because you know josh allen does kind of fall in that lamar jackson pool of great quarterbacks but they don't really enable fantasy friendly running backs because josh allen doesn't have time for checking the ball down you know he's gunning that thing downfield even if it's more accurate these days than it was in the past and he's taken off for the end zone the second they get inside the 10 yard line he's literally like a top 10 player in rushing touchdowns since he entered the league it's it's madness but if that if that slows down if josh allen since he's such a better passer now and he's about to have you know probably nine digits of millions of reasons to you know take care of his body a little bit better if you can just chill a little bit on that zach moss the guy we would expect to be taking those touchdowns yeah, I wonder if he will. That's As you said, every single year he's been so good near the stripes. So I don't know that I expected to slow down. But at the end of the day, an offense that's put up nearly 30 points last year, they were number three in points per game, and they didn't add any backfield competition, and none of us are talking about it. Like, I'm not talking about it. I haven't been. I haven't even looked at it. It was but only Brita, yeah. And Mike Davis were all about these guys that, like, emerged from the draft without competition. Well, there's all these rumblings about ETN or whoever going to Buffalo, and it, it didn't happen, and still we all are ignoring it. So I, I do think there's some untapped upside, especially all those running backs that you cited, like James Robinson, as good as he was last year. Come on, we can't we can't go back there this season. So if, if I'm looking for running backs in that range, if that's going to remain his price, give me a guy that does have three-down skills in an offense that put up nearly 30 points per game, that's probably going to do the same thing in 2021. Yeah, he's going to get vultured by by the ultimate vulture in Josh Allen, but still, I, I see some value. I do see yeah. some zero RB faithful value there. Uh, I'm with you. I am absolutely with you. What about Devonta Smith? Uh, he is quite the polarizing guy on Twitter uh, in terms of his size and, and how he could translate. But, man, he, he couldn't walk into a better situation with the Eagles, a more wide-open depth chart. What are your thoughts? Could he be the favorite to lead all rookies in targets? Should he be? And, and how will he perform if he is? 
Yeah, over the past few days, I found myself, you know, slowly but surely hopping to the front seat of that Devontae Smith bandwagon, man. I didn't realize I was higher on this guy than a lot of people, but, you know, a nice practice I try to do, you know, every couple of months or so uh, is just compare my ranks to whatever ADP source we have to see what guys I'm higher or lower on. Should I be adjusting that? And Devontae, I'm not. He's my wide receiver 25, but he's going like wide receiver 37 right now, man. And we had, you know, the one take out of the Eagles kind of training camp that, okay, Rager is going to be in the slot more like that's great news for Devontae that tells you that Devontae is being set up to be their undisputed number one pass game option and I think that he should be man because he is that freaking good I mean you just look at his game log from last year no gimme games in the SEC his worst game was basically seven catches 73 yards against Tennessee he had one against Arkansas where he only had 22 yards but he scored a punt return touchdown like the amount of just 140 plus to 200 yard games and multiple touchdowns like Maybe we took it for granted because it was like getting that insane. But my goodness, man. I mean, Notre Dame, Ohio State, SEC, didn't matter who the hell it was. He was just going over all of them. Never once in that season were you like, wow, Devontae was just a little bit bigger. You know, maybe he could have made that play. It just didn't matter. And it's really been that case throughout his entire collegiate career. So, like, you know, when people bring up size, they're bringing up, okay, we've only seen this many players in the last 30 years of football. What does a 170-pound receiver playing in 1990 have anything to do with two 2021. It's a completely different game now than it was 10 years ago, just with the way that the you know, officials and injuries are now, or the officials and rule set just trying to protect the offensive players. So to me, Devontae, uh, I think I tweeted this out yesterday, like he could have 12 targets in week one and we wouldn't even bat an eye about it. Like he's going to lead the Eagles in targets. And you look at Chase, you look at Waddle, who I wouldn't even disagree with someone if they said both Chase and Waddle are better football players than Devontae Smith. But Waddle's got, you know, Parker, he's got Fuller, and he's probably going to be in, you know, better defense. I don't know if they're going to be in the same sort of shootouts as the Eagles. And then Chase, like, okay, I see him getting triple-digit targets, but Higgins and Boyd aren't going anywhere either. So Devontae is the only one in this group that I think could really hit some sort of gaudy target total, like 150 or something like that. Love it. And Albert Breer in his Monday morning quarterback uh, column asked all SEC guys, this is the quote, who was the best player they played against uh, over the last couple months? All of them, every single one said Devonta. Even the Alabama guys, they all said he's the best football player I've ever been around. Every single oh, yeah. one they asked. Like, there's just a track record. Nick Saban, like, said, we're not going to make him be more than 165. It's what he plays. He's going to dominate. Like, all these guys continue to bring him up. He's known as one of those, like, gym rats, those cerebral guys. So good on the outside, inside. They've already said we plan to move him all over the place. Yeah. It's an alpha. He is an <laughs> alpha. I don't care about the size. He is going to get all the volume. Plus, he already has has that connection with Jalen Hurts. Like, why Why do you think they do that? Of course they want a guy that have the synergy already. I think he's going to walk in day one and be a stud. I'm, I'm not buying into this BMI, like, any of that shit. Like, I get it. It's like history with it. And then there's guys that win the Heisman at wide receiver and are just dominant at that level. So give me all the Devontae. I'm, I'm, I think I have him right around 24, 25. So we're in lockstep there in terms of over the ECR. I'm yeah, definitely man. with you there. And look, like, you know, Jalen Waddle weighs 15 more pounds. Like, what? we're just drawing kind of a weird line here. Like, and it might yeah. not even be that much depending on the day. And Devontae's, like, got, you know, he, he's freaking taller. So, you know, yeah. at what point? Like, for me, like, <laughs> I wanted to draw the line at 150 because that's what Tutu Atwell, like, came in under. And I was like, okay, that's the line. 150 yeah. pounds, like, come on. But to me, like, that, like, 166 versus 170, it just seems awfully arbitrary. We see it, man, when you look up a stat and you're using just, you know, your 
25 carries and you're like oh man the guy wanted to be number one's at number three and if i can just you know bump this up a little bit more we'll be good so numbers don't lie but the people giving you the numbers can uh, smudge them from time to time and i think we've seen that a lot with uh, some of the Devonte haters i'm happy that uh, neither of us fall into that group 100 percent. and then another guy i'm absolutely in love with this year and i think most people can respect him but I have him right at quarterback three. He's right around quarterback five or six right now is Dak Prescott. What can we expect for this guy that led the NFL in points per game, fantasy points per game last year before going down? Do you think we get that right again in 2021 comes right back or what are your expectations for Dak? I think my favorite Dak stat from last year is that he scored more touchdowns than Daniel Jones, despite playing in freaking fewer than five games. Unreal. At first, I thought they were tied. I took the passing and rushing touchdowns, but no, I forgot. Dak actually caught a receiving score to get past Daniel Jones. Unbelievable. But, you know, he's always been a great fantasy quarterback. 2016, he was the overall QB6. He was QB9. He was QB10. 2019, when he finally has, you know, a good amount of receivers around him, he was the overall QB2. And last season, holy shit, man. Second most fantasy points per game by a quarterback ever behind only 2019 Lamar Jackson. So if Dak is healthy, absolutely overall QB1 an outcome is in his uh, potential favor. I would worry that we don't see him running quite as much similar concern with Josh Allen, even though Josh didn't have, you know, that sort of brutal injury, but we were already kind of seeing Dak, you know, take his, uh, you know, foot off the gas a little bit as a rusher anyway, but I don't think you can really uh, take that out of him. Like I've never seen a quarterback uh, like Dak where, you know, if there's a first down or a goal line that he feels like he needs to get, he'll put his head down with just about anybody. So I don't know if you can even coach that kind of will out of him, but at a minimum, I don't think we're going to see the same sort of reliance on the zone read that the Cowboys have had uh, over the past few years, but they're just loaded man and what was most impressive about last year was it was the first time we really saw him overcome a not great offensive situation like look at what happened when Andy Dalton was under center until you know the last mm -hmm. month of the season like it was brutal because Tyron Smith Lyle Collins were both out for the entire season Tyron played two games Zach Martin missed okay Zach Martin was there with Dak he ended up missing some more games down the stretch but like the, for the first time the O-line was a train wreck in Dallas like it's always had been that you know fort fortified unit all the first round picks and all that last year it really wasn't and in 2017 we saw him slip up when Tyron was out. In 2018, things were brutal when they traded for Amari Cooper. But again, over these past two seasons, we've just seen Dak not only play great in a mostly great situation, but actually elevate his teammates even when stuff has gone south. So, you know, all the just the Dak haters out there. I, I just think they hate the Cowboys and they don't want to admit it now. Hey, the Cowboys, if they score a billion points this year, what can they hold their opponents under a billion and one? I'm not sure about that. So we'll see uh, how they do in real life. But man, I don't think you can name, uh, you know, you, you only need one hand to name the amount of offenses that I think will be better than the Dallas Cowboys in 2021. It is crazy too. That this was their first year in a new offense in the Mike McCarthy system. Yeah. And it just was bananas. I do wonder if the defense, you know, all their traffic's going to defense. You have to think they get somewhat better, but still it's a, you know, a lot of how much better can you get? And this guy, you know, first game week one against the Rams, toughest pass in the league, still put up 20. After that, 46 30. And that was with the BS Jalen Ramsey freaking flopping on that Gallup right. throw. Exactly. After that, 
46, 34, 44 fantasy point game logs. And that's video games. And then he got hurt. He had 15 in the first half. So he was right on pace for yeah. another monster game. It's just crazy. Averaging over 32 points per game. I, I think he absolutely gets right back into that range there. Uh, and the fact that he can go, he's the reason why I think Pat Mahomes is overpriced because I think you get just as good of like per game numbers for three, four rounds later. When I have to pass up on a Michael Thomas to take a Patrick Mahomes versus passing up on, say, an older Adam Thielen, like for for a Dak and I get a similar per game, I, I love Dak. I'm all about it. I think he's one of the best values in fantasy right now. And I, I always wait on quarterback, but I still I think he's one of the best. I think like it's always a good idea to wait on like the top one or two overly priced quarterbacks. Like he shouldn't have been taking Lamar Jackson in 2020 when he's going, you know, round two or three. But yeah, I don't mind when someone like Dak is actually falling to, you know, a pretty reasonable range, like particularly in these uh, two QB super flex leagues. And if you're in like an underdog best ball draft, you should be trying to come away with at least one quarterback before round nine or 10, I'd say. Yeah, one of these monsters. Like you saw it last year. Like you needed that 30 points a week from Kyler, from Dak, whoever it was. Uh, and I don't see that slowing down. I know a lot of people, oh, the COVID, like defenses weren't ready. I don't I don't buy that. I think just players are just getting that much better. The rules are favoring offenses. And we're just going to keep getting points bonanzas from these teams that have that weaponry and these terrible defenses. I mean, that was like the DFS cheat code last year was whoever you either play Dak or you play whoever's facing the Cowboys and Falcons, like one of those two teams. And it was always just a, a gold mine. Seahawks yeah. games too in that first half of the year oh, were getting yeah. wild, man. Of course, we had the Cowboys Seahawks game. That was yeah. uh, the best one of the group. That was epic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, moving to the other end of the draft board is the low ADP receivers, the guys that nobody really is drafting right now but could have triple-digit, 100-target upside. And this one was framed around in your 100 questions, the Detroit Lions. So I imagine we'll be talking about at least one of those guys. And that makes sense because that target totem pole, other than TJ Hawkinson and, and DeAndre Swift, is a complete mystery. So which receivers do you think are going low that have 100-plus target upside in 2021? Yeah, I still got to break this one one down specifically, but I, I pulled up just, you know, some underdog ADPs and wide receivers that are at wide receiver 50 or lower. Not outside the top 50 because that would not allow me to talk about Corey Davis, who is sitting right there and actually in a pretty great spot, man. Shout out to my guy, Andrew Erickson, who's always on the Wednesday edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. But he brought it up on our episode uh, we recorded yesterday where, yeah, I mean, Corey Davis, like – he just had his best season ever, which is great. And he just went to an offense that paid him a lot of money to come there with a new rookie quarterback. And like Corey Davis should be projected to lead this team in targets. And okay, yeah. he's not number five overall pick good, but he was a legit top 10 receiver in efficiency metrics last year. Now, will that change when he's not, you know, the absolute, when he's not the number two behind AJ Brown? Defenses have to focus mm -hmm. more attention on him. Sure. But we could also see enough targets to make up for that. And again, when he's going wide receiver 50, it's a uh, you know, risk that you're willing to take around there. So Corey Davis qualifies. Devontae Parker is right next to him. I think he'll probably finish third on targets with Miami, but let's be honest. We don't really know what's going to happen there. I mean, the receivers Tua was throwing to at the end of last year. I mean, Parker credit to him for gutting out uh, through some injuries he was uh, working with, but Brand new offense. So Devontae is someone that we can see finish with triple-digit targets. Cole Beasley has gotten there in each of the past two years. He had five games to over 100 yards last year, man. And, you know, they switched out John Brown for Emmanuel Sanders. So Beasley could just once again be this really solid kind of high-floor wide receiver three that has a little bit more boom than we uh, like to give, you know, white slot receivers credit for. Yeah. Uh, Henry Ruggs, I think, is a great bounce-back option. Like, the issue was Nelson Aguilar. 
Is it uh, incredibly annoying that Nelson Aguilar was the issue? Absolutely, yeah. but he's gone. John Brown's back. I, we both love Smokey Brown. That's fine, but you know his health is always a concern, particularly coming off of last year. And like, man, Rugs didn't have a game with more than five targets last year. And I do buy into the idea that you need to kind of earn your targets, and they're a good indicator of a more talented player. But again, it, it wasn't like he was just you know busting with a bunch of opportunities. He, did, he looked pretty good when they decided to throw him the ball. I'm not giving up on him just yet with this uh, low ADP. Uh, speaking of Nelson Aguilar, I think with the Patriots, like he is looking like their wide receiver one. He's not getting the respect. Elijah Moore with the Jets. If they ever cut Jamison Crowder, I don't know what they're waiting for, but <laughs> they drafted more early round two. And if he comes out there, you know, similar to Corey Davis, like, you know, he could easily take over this offense. Uh, Brashad Perryman or Amon Ross St. Brown were the guys I was thinking of with Detroit. Uh, we'll see if, if I zero more in on that. You know, Amon Ra, it's like, I understand people aren't huge on the guy. They weren't on the prospect and it's only a fourth round pick but that said man it is that wide open of an offense i mean all these available target articles like it is it's almost like 100 target, targets between the lines and the next highest team like it, someone is going to eat in that offense and say what you will about jared goff like robert woods and cooper cup over the years were just fine and that defense in detroit is going to be well worse than whatever he was working with out there in la and final point uh you kind of scoffed at him earlier and i don't think he's all that great either but traquan smith man shaping I up as the uh wide receiver two in new orleans if it's Jameis under center i think uh traquan could be okay he actually had a game last year i think it was right after michael thomas got hurt where i don't know man he kind of impressed me a little bit more than usual with kind of some of his yak stuff and then he got hurt after and then he disappeared like that's the thing he'll look good for a game or two and then he just kind of disappears over the years so Traquan you know when they've thrown the ball good things usually happen and now that Breeze probably well we know Breeze is gone now that we're probably not going to see the offense flow quite so heavily through the running back in the passing game could be Traquan's time to shine I, I and I do love Traquan at that price tag for sure I know I, ch I chuckled at him when comparing like who might <laughs> You know, Thomas have competition for. I think he's maybe my favorite name you brought up on that list. I do love Cole Beasley as well, who had four 20 plus fantasy point days last year. You think of him as just like the low upside, just like churning the change and all that. And he yeah. does, but he also has some big blow up games for him. So I love that one. It happens every year, whether it was, you know, Terry McLaurin a couple seasons ago, even like Justin Jefferson as a rookie walking into a, I guess Adam Thielen was there, but still pretty wide open target situation. There's always these, murky situations and nobody really takes them till round 10 or below. I think the Jets is a great qualifier. Somebody is going to be a, a top probably 30 receiver, top 25 even receiver from the Jets, whether that's Crowder, Moore, or Corey Davis. I don't know. I can't pretend to know which one Zach Wilson's going to mesh with. I think it's going to be more personally. That's my guess. Uh, somebody is going to be that though. So yeah, it's, it's got, it's gotta be one of those. I just love loading up because the, especially when you look at like the, the hit rate of running backs after round, I think four or five is just disgusting. Never mind round 10. It's like literally 0%. You're going to get a useful running back unless there's an injury. Uh, so I love just stacking up receiver after receiver, particularly if you're playing best ball, of course, everyone knows you just got to stack up in those ranges and hope for the big ones. I love the line situation with Paraman. I think he could be the guy. I like targeting the Jets guys and figuring out what happens there. And I love Traquan Smith. I think he could really uh, you know, merge with a gunslinging quarterback like Jameis Winston. Uh, it's rare to say, it's weird to say someone's better off with 
Winston instead of Breeze, a <laughs> Hall of Famer. But I really think a guy like Traquan, his skill set fits so much better. With that's, fa- that's fantasy football for you, man. It's the game we play. It doesn't always have to make sense. Exactly. It never does. It literally right. will never make sense. Well said. <laughs> Ever. And nothing that may- one thing that never makes sense to me, or at least right now, is that Bucks backfield. Uh, just absolutely atrocious and disgusting. And the reason I put it on here as a burning question, though, is because there were plenty of games where it was Ronald Jones, whether it was Fournette. There was value. There was plenty of top 24 games, particularly Fournette down the stretch there, went completely berserk. But then they mix in Gio Bernard. They bring back Fournette. I have no idea. Keyshawn Vaughn's now talked up as the breakup breakout guy by Bruce Arians. I have no idea. There's four guys getting hyped up. Who's it going to be? Is anybody going to be worth it? What are your thoughts on this backfield? Not really. I'd rather take Zach Moss over these guys at the yeah. same spot. I mean, it's two top five offenses, but at least Moss in his theoretical range of a best case outcome, like he could take over the Bills backfield. Bruce Arians, who is like the most notorious, like we're going to give our running back 20 plus touches, like type of press conference guy that you will ever see. He said it's about like Andre Ellington. He said David Johnson was get 30 touches one year. Like it's ridiculous the amount of times he's gone here. They asked him about the backfield a couple of weeks ago and he was like, Fancy, he literally brought up fancy. He's like, fancy managers are not going to want to hear this, but it's going to be split up between Fournette and Rojo, and we kind of like what we have with Vaughn and Gio on the pass downs. That's the big issue, man. Like, you will not find two worse pass-catching backs than Rojo and Fournette uh, last year in the NFL. Like, Rojo was legit PFF's single worst uh, graded running back and receiving grade. There was a play against the Bears where he actually caught a touchdown, but the ref ruled it an incompletion, and Rojo was just like, okay, like, just – kind of agreed with the ref and they didn't even review it because you know usually the receiver is just freaking out rojo is just so used to that but yeah. whatever he's a great he's he's awesome like he's underrated when they just hand him the ball i mean he was explosive as hell 98 freaking yard rush like he has that type of shit in his uh wheelhouse and the fournette takeover was nice down the stretch but man jones was playing through the pain bad man i remember him you know just limping heavily throughout that entire saints game that they managed to win so to me it's like Rojo and Fournette probably are going to struggle to get 200 touches. And there's no way, like we're looking at their targets from last year. They had 89 combined. Like what's the over on that this year? Like 50, 40? Like it's, I don't know, man. We got Giovanni Bernard's quads looking pretty big out there. Like clearly <laughs> they want to kind of make this into almost like the New England offense that Brady was working with before because now we once again have like four running backs. So, hey, our old adage in the New England backfield was draft the cheapest one. So, you know, Gio yeah. or Keyshawn, I guess they could be values because they're pretty much free. I'm largely staying away from Rojo and Fournette at their cost. I'm 100% in agreement there. I've been saying long all offseason that the most valuable running back out of this backfield will be Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, I yeah. want nothing to do. I think Fournette's my most like greatest discrepancy in his big board rank versus where I have him. I minus like 60 spots. I want nothing to do with him despite that monstrous playoff stretch. Give me the guy that, you know, J- James White roll 86, 72, 123, 95 targets in his last four seasons with Brady. I think he just goes right into that role. He's just, I mean, no disrespect to Jimmy White as a Pats fan, but I don't see anything that he does that Gio Bernard can't do. Maybe a little bit later at a stage of his career, but Bernard's a great pass catcher, a great route runner. I think Brady's going to love this guy moving the chains on third down. Uh, and I'm not saying I want Gio Bernard, like I'm dying and gushing to go get him. I wouldn't be shocked if this guy catches 50, 60 balls this year, though. Is top 10 in the league in running back receptions. I could totally see that. Get get away from those early down backs. 
Give me the third down guy. That's all I care about here. Uh, he's the last he's one. still 29, okay. man. Look, he's 29. He's okay. And he wasn't, it wasn't his best year last year, but, you know, ask any single person about Cincinnati. And the first thing they'll do is tell you how bad the offensive line is. So I wouldn't exactly pin that against Gio. And no, man, great points. I, I like him a lot. I do. I, I, and that's, that's the only one I would even consider right. <laughs> in this backfield. So the last of your 10 questions from your burning questions, a hundred. And I love this one. And this is especially because I, I am super high on Travis Kelsey yeah. in terms of just like overall rank. I think he belongs in like the top five after your big three or four running backs, like just because of the edge he gives you. But do you think Darren Waller could challenge him for that type of edge or potentially even take over as the t- tight end one? What are your thoughts? So, no, but we all need to get used to Waller being the tight end two over Kittle, which seems to be becoming commonplace. And I've even yeah. seen some people, you know, on Twitter, and I won't name names, but they're kind of, I think they might be naming me under their breath. Like, hey, you know, everyone, oh, Waller tight end two over over Kittle. Real sharp players I've been in drafts. I've known about this for weeks. Like, I don't know, man. Chill the hell out, people. I don't need to see your subtweet. And look, when you break it down, like, okay, Kittle, I think, is better than Waller in every single facet of the game. I think Kittle's the best tight end alive. But when you look at what Trey Lance could bring this offense, like, I think we got – at least I eventually fell for the Mac Jones like stick. Like after Daniel Jeremiah and Schefter were putting credence into it, I was like, okay, I guess Mac Jones is going to be the quarterback. Like going from him to Trey Lance, PFF draft guy, man, we called Trey Lance Taysom Hill with legit arm talent. Like it's going to take him a little bit to become this consistent you know, pocket passer, like a Josh Allen type guy. I think we could see in these early years a similar situation to what we were talking about earlier with Taysom Hill where Trey Lance freaking eats, man. He should be your QB1, I think, in this class, even if he shouldn't be projected for the most points. You know, Trevor Lawrence is starting from week one. It's going to be tough for Lance to catch that. Like, if every single rookie quarterback is starting in week 10, Trey Lance is going to be the one we have rated the highest. The question is, like, we've already seen Jimmy G. Like, how many passes did he throw in the divisional and NFC championships like 27 total or something. Now you have a rushing quarterback that so we're expecting the offense to lean more run heavy. And now he's going to be taking a freaking part of that pie out himself. So Kittle, he was number two in yards per out run last year behind only Devontae Adams. Like unbelievable. If we could give him 150 targets, he would go the hell off. He's not going to get that. Waller, I think, has the more probably the better passing quarterback right now, particularly when we're talking about chemistry because, you know, Lance and Kittle are going to have to get this going sooner rather than later. We can for sure project them for more volume after what we just witnessed last year. And I don't know, man, like I think the Raiders offense to score more points than the 49ers next year. And people are going to freaking cry. I'm happy you don't do the, uh, if they put that quote on like our PFF account, people would massacre me <laughs> on Twitter. But if you look at Kyle Shanahan, man, real quick, last year, the Raiders, the Raiders and the Titans last year were the two teams with the largest difference in their points per game and their points per game allowed. The Raiders were 10th in points per game. They just allowed uh, points at the 30th rate. But Kyle Shanahan is, in my opinion, one of the best play callers in the league. But we kind of overstate uh, how effective that has been, at least you know in recent years. He's really only had one good year with every single team that he's been a play caller for. In San Francisco, he's ranked 20th, 21st, 2nd, and 21st in points per game. In Atlanta, he was 21st and 1st. In Cleveland, he was 27th. In Washington, he was 25th, 26th, 4th, and 23rd. In Houston, he was 17th and 10th. And that's going back to 2008. And we have, what, every – going back to 2010, all but three seasons, Kyle Shanahan led a scoring offense outside of the top 20. It's what happened, man. And it's, it's weird. It's You know, I saw that stat, and, you know, I didn't exactly – 
again, we, we can, you know, fudge numbers sometimes here, but that's the, that's the case, man. And Jimmy G, like we saw him be a part of some of these offenses. He can't really stay healthy. And like, as much as Trey Lance might be great, he played one game last year. He's still a rookie quarterback. Similar thing with Justin Fields in Chicago. Like they might be awesome quarterbacks in the future. We can't assume they're going to lead this great offense early on. So more and more as the offseason goes on, I've been sliding all my 49ers down a little bit with the exception of Raheem Moster, who I think everyone's freaking out a little bit too much about. Like it a lot. I, I totally agree that there's just a smaller pie, way more mouths to feed in, in uh, San Francisco. I've been long on the, the Waller train as well yeah. over Kittle. And I, I didn't know that stat. And the one I really caught my ear there was 30th in, in the rate of points allowed there for the, the Raiders. Well, no wonder that t- we're seeing Darren Waller see 146 targets right. last year because they have to chuck and they have no one else to chuck it to. Like, I, sure, you know, Ruggs, maybe he is that guy that takes a step up. John Brown, we've seen do some damage. But to me, they're just field stretchers to let the big guy do his work underneath. I, told, I There's no reason this guy doesn't see another 140, maybe even more targets To me, he just continues to ascend. And I'm in 100% agreement, Kittle, best tight end in the game, like blocker, everything. But that doesn't mean he's the best fantasy tight end by any means. Uh, And especially when you have to take that guy, right, when you're taking like a mix in, when you're taking maybe even an Eckler or an A.J. Brown. No way. Can't do it. Can't do it. No way. Give me Darren Waller, especially because he's going a few picks later in round three, like all day. But even if if it was just in a vacuum, I had to get a tight end in round two. I'm going Darren Waller. I'm with you there. Um, the last few questions. So that, that wraps up the 10 questions I picked from Ian's list. Remember to check that out over at pff.com slash fantasy, a hundred questions in a hundred days. They're all fantastic. They're all great. You can also get his tears and all that great stuff, uh, churning out over there at pro football focus. I did have a few more burning questions that are just going to dominate the rest of the off season that could really change the landscape. We typically think right by now that the draft, everything's over and the the fantasy values are set, but there's three more bombs in addition to the Jameis Winston Taysom Hill news. That's one bomb that's going to be dropped regardless of what happens in camp, but there's three more bombs waiting to be dropped. And these are the ones in my eyes, Julio Jones, of course, what is your prediction where he goes and what's kind of your best and worst case scenario for him in fantasy? I think he's playing for the Falcons, man. I think they figure out this salary cap without trading one of the freaking 10 best wide receivers yeah. alive. And it might very well be higher than that. I mean, it's weird with Julio, man. He's the only like high usage receiver really over the past five, six, seven years for PFF that we've had average at least three yards per out run in a season. He's not doing that anymore, but he's still like a top five receiver in yards per out run. Like he's just that good. Even Julio, even the B plus version of Julio is still, you know, among the league's very best wide receivers. So I just don't, it's never made sense to me why they need to get rid of him. Like if they wanted to rebuild, they could have drafted a quarterback. They could have found a way to maybe trade Matt Ryan. Like what does trading Julio Jones do, particularly if, it's taken this long. It's not like Julio Jones went on undisputed and just demanded a trade and the Falcons have had, you know, a week to do this. They said that they've been trying to find a trade partner for months and Julio Jones announcing that everyone this is going on didn't exactly help. It. I don't think that really helped that them accomplish that task. And he can talk about not wanting to go to the Cowboys and all that. Like, bro, you don't have a no trade clause. And you look at the last, you know, alpha wide receivers that have been, uh, you know, traded. We had Antonio Brown, the bills for about six hours. We had Stefan Dix 
to the Bills. We had Odo Beckham to the Browns. Hopkins got to go to the Cardinals. You know, Bill O'Brien doing his thing. Uh, but like, okay, Cleveland and Buffalo. I know they look pretty appealing right now, but you know, you kind of fast you go, you go backwards to when they got traded, and I don't think either of those receivers were probably too happy about that uh, destination. So yes, do the Falcons owe it to Julio to probably try to trade him somewhere he wants to go? You think so? But more and more, man, I just like it doesn't make sense for them to even trade him. So I think he stays in Atlanta. If he does go, I think best case for his just overall value, like the Bills, just him and Diggs would tear things off. This is already an offense that has shown like they don't care about running the ball. So we could see him, you know, basically just him and Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen would just be like a better version of what they already had in Atlanta between him, Ryan, and Calvin Ridley. The worst, like, probably the Broncos or something, man, like just erratic QB play with like an already pretty loaded wide receiver room that might not afford him as many targets as he needs. Uh, and fantasy land, you know, it's kind of similar, but best like it's hard. It's hard to deny green Bay would be pretty awesome. Like just oh, see yeah. a, see a MVS Aaron Rodgers is happy. Now he's going to find a way to get Julio, you know, 120 plus targets. And it's probably going to be uh, towards the highest efficiency of his career. And then worse, like maybe new England, man, but it's, yeah. it's, it's so weird to say Julio Jones would be, you know, worse or bad anywhere because he wouldn't be he would make all 32 teams better and that's what kind of annoyed me throughout some of this uh process like we got rap sheets saying you know falcons want to get rid of julio jones's terrible contract no a terrible contract is for a not good football player like just because yeah. they're paying julio jones a lot of money doesn't make it a terrible contract he when you're that good when you're julio jones level good you should be getting uh, paid that sort of money so don't love uh you know some of the statements that would come out of this but you know like somewhere like new england probably wouldn't be very great for his fantasy stock just because you you know, we got the tight ends there now. It seems like Cam has a shot to, you know, continue to start. I don't know. I think Matt Jones is under there sooner rather than later. But even New England, like, I, I don't think anywhere in the league would we be dropping Julio more than, like, you know, outside the top 16 or 18 wide receivers, which is a testament to how damn good the guy is. It's true. The guy's an absolute stud, legend. He's been doing it forever and should have at least a couple left in him. I do agree with you. New England was my worst case, which is kind of surprising that it's like, that's where he wants to go. He wants to play with Cam Newton is one of the rumblings. I don't know that I buy that. I certainly don't want him to go to the Titans, even though they're like the favorite right now to go there. Only because of selfishly just have a lot of A.J. Brown in early drafts. Yeah. And I just want to see this guy finally get his. You and me both. You and me both. Yeah, I know, I know you're leading that train too. No doubt. So selfishly, fantasy wise, I don't want to see him go there either. But, yeah, he's, he's going to do fine wherever he lands. I do think New England would be one of the, the worst case. But even then, if Mac Jones takes over, and, and all the reports are he's been slinging it early in camp so far. Uh, or not camp, but whatever, the OTAs. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. There's really not a bad case when you got a talent yeah. like Julio Jones. <laughs> that idea with the Packers, though, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers with Adams and Julio, holy shit, that would be – Bro, we've been asking for – We've been asking for it for so long. And like Packers fans take so much offense to when people like say that Aaron Rodgers hasn't gotten enough help. Like, look at all the top offenses we've had and stuff. Like, come on, though. They literally yeah. haven't drafted another first round skill position player other than Jordan Love since Rodgers. Like, I know Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, and all these guys that weren't first round picks were still awesome. But that doesn't mean you couldn't have added like more awesome players. We understand that Aaron yeah. Rodgers has made this team incredible ever since he's, you know, been their starting quarterback. But man, oh man, like we've seen some of the heights that he can reach with this roster. Like it's okay to give him more help. Like as yeah. we're seeing with like Russell Wilson and stuff, man, like you can't have enough great receivers sometimes. 
And that's one of the rumors too, actually, is that Seattle's in the talks with yeah. them too. Imagine that one, DK, Lockett, <laughs> and, and Julio. Maybe a mess for fantasy. And I'm about a, to say, not great for fantasy, but. Not great for fantasy. Real life-wise, other than Russell Wilson, who would just go completely bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And you got to imagine they abandoned this whole, we have to establish the run. That's the thing. What's right. They- they, they probably wouldn't, right? You'd have those three receivers, and they'd run it forty-five times a game. Still, like disgusting. Chris Carson, four hundred touches, and just <laughs> dominating every game. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, speaking of the Packers, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, how do you see this playing out? Is he going to leave? And if he does, you know, what's the impact? And where do you see him going? Should he leave? Once again, I think he stays. I think it's a lot of freaking May smoke that was getting blown up our asses by, you know, national reporters and stuff. And with Rodgers and Julio, the big date was always June 1st. And I will say I kind of put more stock into it at first when I was like, okay, they're not going to do any trades until after June 1st because that was just the way both the cap hits worked. But no, like that, I was just a little not ignorant. I don't know what the right word is, but – I don't think that was the case. We see guys come to agreement well before that June 1st deadline. Much like Julio, the Packers have been engaged in you know trade talks or at least listening to them for months. This isn't a new thing with Rodgers. And because of that, I just think the longer it goes on, the more likely it becomes he's back in Green Bay. So let's say he does get traded, uh, you know, hey, it would obviously hurt pretty much everybody involved. I think Jordan Love would fall in as, you know, just kind of in that weird QB, like, 20 to 25 range of guys that you're using not drafting anyway. He only averaged 10 rushing yards per game at Utah State, never had 50 rushing yards in a game. And I just don't think that uh, he's going to really translate immediately to, uh, you know, being a fantasy friendly quarterback, even if he's probably better in real life than most people will give him credit for. Aaron Jones. If he falls like too much past being like a borderline RB1, high-end RB2, he might become a value because, man, oh, man, if he takes Jamal Williams' targets, he's going to be fine. The question is that split between him and Dylan. So, again, it just lowers the ceiling for both because we don't have the same touchdown equity. But if you go back to 2018 – Matt LaFleur gave Derrick Henry, I think it was 236 touches, and he gave Deion Lewis 214. So we could see this be far more of a condensed committee uh, than we're expecting. And it could work. You know, if they can put up points, Dylan can almost be the lead early down guy, and Jones will be getting so many catches that he can make up for, uh, you know, kind of lack of usage. He can almost be like an Alvin Kamara uh, type. So uh, I think Jones, it could actually still be okay for him. And Devontae, man, like we saw when he was with, uh, it was, was it Brett Hundley? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was still the wide receiver 12 in that stretch. He had a dud here or there, but like still a wide receiver one. So he would slide down, but he'd still be top 10. You know, whether you want to put him six, eight or nine or hell, even keep him in the top five, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it. I mean, the fact that he can just still get as open as he does, even with opponents knowing that he is the only guy out there, like it doesn't change much for him. It's like kind of, like he just turns into Michael Thomas where, okay, we got to worry about a quarterback change, but we still have a great receiver, a better receiver than Michael Thomas, like to be honest and in an offense where they are just the undisputed number one target so he'd be fine but for that man tunyon mvs uh amari no i don't want him see them all yeah 100 agree later the last bombs potentially bombs to drop involves all these fucking disgusting <laughs> running back decaying corpses that are just going to stink <sighs> up from backfields and we don't know who yet, and maybe none of them lands. You know, fingers crossed these guys just stay out of the league. <laughs> well, us fantasy owners are certainly done with them. I don't think any of us are going to draft any of these guys, no matter where they land. The question is, though, who do they impact? Where do they go? What are your predictions on what backfields might add one of these disgusting, gross corpses at running back? 
Man, Todd Gurley's 26. I, I, I know. I know. I should, it, no, you're not wrong. Three years you're ago, wrong. one of the best in the game. Like, I, I know. I feel bad calling And even though they're like, they're not old. They're just gross at this point. Like, he's not going to be a stud again. No way. We saw it last year. I know. It's just sad, man. I Like, when he tw- he, did, he did, like, an April Fool's thing that someone signed him, I just, like, wanted to cry. I was like, oh, uh, Todd. Poor girl. It is so but, sad. It, I mean, what was it, three years ago, he was back-to-back running back one for the first time since, like, Priest Holmes did it? Like, uh, it's unreal. It's like, it's just like he hit a wall, like, just halfway, like, almost not even halfway, like, 80% through the 2018 season just hasn't been the same. Those knees are so old. Yeah. The guy scored, guy scored, like, the least impressive 21 or 23 touchdowns over the past two years you could ever imagine. So, hey, it sounds like the Lions uh, are interested in him, but, I mean, it probably would have happened already if, uh, you know, he was going to be signed. But, but, hey, if they're interested in Gurley, maybe they could be interested in Le'Veon, Frank Gore, AP reunion or something like that. Yeah. I think we'll probably see these guys you know get signed close to august after an injury happens or so miami they had a malcolm brown but they never made that real addition that i think we expected i could see them doing it jets remain painfully thin you know tevin coleman isn't looking as good as uh, uh you know their uh, oc remembers him from san fran that could be an issue baltimore again i just i they really like Justice Hill, and they should. Justice Hill is a is a very solid number three running back, but I wouldn't be shocked if they try to add someone else. And then finally, Kansas City is a contender again. I would just note that last year, the whole Le'Veon Bell and Kansas City situation, it really didn't hurt Clyde quite as much as people thought. He still started every game. Honestly, Le'Veon almost just started splitting things with Daryl Williams more yeah. than Clyde, and it just became more of a three-back backfield, and Mahomes went nuts for a, a few weeks. So, you know, I, I've referenced some small sample splits from last season as well, um, you know, throughout this podcast. So it matters what happened with that, but Clyde, you know, even if they do add one of these players, like, you know, he's still someone that is the RB1 on probably the best offense in football, and I don't think, uh, you know, the presence of any of these guys are going to uh, impact that too much so yeah kansas city baltimore jets miami and lions would be my top five interesting so you think uh mr quads himself mike davis remains unscathed oh, by the end of this all? that's a good point that's a good point i, I hope so <laughs> i really hope so man that'd be fantastic man the, the hate on mike davis i don't know why he gets hate like he should be everyone's favorite player but every time i feel like every time i tweet a video or something about him people are just coming at the guy and i hear the same excuses like for not the excuse like the same hate for mike davis like dave montgomery got you got a guy breaking tackles at a top 10 rate and they go well he can't he doesn't have you know the zero to 100 he can't accelerate he can't make the big play and then you know montgomery does that shit against like the packers and texans and they just say oh the well, the run defense sucked never mind that we don't bring those things up when jonathan taylor and derrick henry did it at the end of last season but you know it is what it is mike davis you know it's i think adam levitan coined it like he's 90 percent cmc <laughs> he's he's good man i even thought he was good going back in the seattle days so uh you know maybe i'm being a little optimistic hoping uh mike davis just holds on to job but it's a two-year deal worth $5 million, which is the amount of money they gave Gurley one year to pretty much be their undisputed guy until it was just so clear that he wasn't even the best running back in his own backfield. So Mike Davis, man, yeah, I, even if it could happen and it could get ruined uh, rather quickly, I would take Mike Davis, you know, over Miles Gaskin, over uh, any of the Jets guys, and, you know, over Jamal Williams and some of those other guys too. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm hoping he remains unscathed. And even if not, I think he's going to remain their horse Regardless, I am worried Bell goes to Miami. I know there's rumblings there. And I'm not even then still, I still think Miles Gaskin might be the guy, but we will see. We will see where these corpses land. Hopefully, nowhere. Hopefully, with the Jets, because no one cares about that backfield. <laughs> 
Uh, but we will find out. My man, I know we were already hitting an hour. Are you willing to run through the no huddle offense with me, though? Of course, of course. All righty. Hell yeah. I appreciate the time, all the insight. You can, of course, find Ian Hardit's stuff at profootballfocusPFF.com slash fantasy at iHardit's on Twitter. Uh, my man, I appreciate it. We're going to hit that no huddle offense now. 20 rapid fire burning questions for fantasy. Even though we just did a burning question show. Uh, <laughs> so some of these might be repeats. I don't know how many there are. I don't think too many it's are. Good. Uh, go through with the name, the, the players that come to mind, or whatever answer comes to mind. Starting with, in order, the first three picks in every 2021 draft should be. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley. Travis Kelsey should go no later than pick number. 12, but that'd be, that'd be late. The next Mahomes, Lamar Josh Allen, will be? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't worry all about in. bending the narrative too close. He's a value. I am all in on that, by the way. Veteran who gained the most value this offseason? I still think he sucks, but it's Sam Darnold. Veteran who lost the most value this offseason? R.I.P. James RB1 Sun season. Sorry, everybody. 100%. Rookie 101 should be? Superflex, I would go Trey Lance. Uh, Kyle Shannon thinks he's the guy. I think he's the guy. Regular, probably Jamar Chase, but I think between him and Najee, I'd be pretty, uh, you know, pretty open either. The biggest rookie flop's gonna be Zach Wilson. I'm done. I'm done crossing out quarterbacks after we heard Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. We're all gonna be bust. You don't need to be a good real life quarterback to be a good fantasy quarterback. I- I'll need to see Zach Wilson change my mind though. I don't think he's gonna be great. Current NFL player that you hate the most? Aaron Jones, only because he freaking commented on my fantasy RB rankings, like what the hell, when he wasn't in tier one. Aaron, I ranked you as the RB5. You're like the RB8 in the industry. I am higher on you than most, and you can't give me that shit, man. I'm rooting for you. I want them to give you more touches, Aaron Jones. And when you're freaking talking down on my fantasy article where I'm ranking you higher than other people, it's an issue. But, you know, it's all good. That's pretty badass, actually. I didn't see that he commented on it. That's dope. Yeah, <laughs> Even if he's hating on you. <laughs> Every now and then you see the random article just really getting some life. You're like, hold on. Did someone comment on this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Love it. The free agent who's going to crush in his new home. Mike Davis, baby. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> Quadzilla, baby. Love it. Early rounder, one or two, that busts the hardest this year. Jonathan Taylor. I can't believe I got this far in the podcast without bashing this dude. Now people like he's right up there, man. Every time I talk about this guy, people are coming at me, but look, there is a non-zero percent chance that Marlon Mack starts next season. Like he started last season. It's not going to happen. Like Jonathan Taylor will start, but guess what? Marlon Mack is going to get some level of touches, just like Jordan Wilkins got some level of touches throughout last year. And Naeem Hines did not go in anywhere. Carson Wentz was terrible last year. If he's not any better, I don't care how good their offensive line is. The backs, Jonathan Taylor's backs against the wall. If he's going to be getting, you know, closer to 225 touches than 300 plus, like we would hope for him to get in a better best case scenario. For what it's worth, I'm minus eight on his ECR, too. I have him, like, towards yeah. the end of the second round, and and I'm significantly lower for whatever that's yeah. worth. It's bro, like, you rank, like, you can rank him as, like, a top 12 RB, and there's always someone there. It's like, you're, you're way too low on Jonathan Taylor. Like, come on. Maybe we are. We'll see. We'll see. Mid-rounder that ascends to 2022 early rounds. 
Kareem Hunt, maybe, man. Browns can save. I, I checked out his uh, contract. They can save $6 million on the cap if they release him after this season uh, ahead of 2022. I don't know why they necessarily want to release him. That seems like a good number for a player as good as Kareem Hunt. But, you know, Baker contracts coming up. If they just decide they want money uh, elsewhere, uh, you know, if he goes somewhere else and he gets that three-down roll, I think we'll see him flying, flying up the boards. Would love that. A late-round league-winning running back, wide receiver, or tight end. Your choice. Adam Troutman, New Orleans Saints. Love it. Love the Troutman. Most important training camp story battle to monitor. Jameis Taysom. Yep. Talked about that. Sophomore running back that you want the most and least. Cam Akers I have as number one. We want that Todd Gurley role. We want that Todd Gurley yeah. role that took over fantasy football in 2017, 2018. That's what Akers had at the end uh, of the season in 2020. Uh, at the least, at cost, you know, okay, we could find some rant, like LaMichael Piran isn't going to get any touches this year, but I think James Robinson just at cost. Even with this ETN, the slot news people, Carlos Hyde's there and Urban said that he's going to be getting touches. And, you know, I know Carlos Hyde doesn't really matter, but when he's back with his old college coach, who says he's going to matter like okay i think he does matter a little bit yeah and we already know your answer to this will rogers leave green bay i think you said no, no. Yep. but should he who's the first receiver that you're going to draft Ooh, mr ajb the wide receiver one season he's my wide receiver two right now man I'm, I'm with it we're getting the we got the report today like they're moving him around trying to get him free use him out of the slot here's my mm. wish let's get aj brown more than the zero rush attempts he had last year man he took that one reverse 50 yards against the saints and maybe it was because he had the knee issues and they just but like i don't know man you're throwing him the ball 10 times a game like is that really all that much more safe than giving him like a reverse or two here and there. So get AJ Brown the ball and good things happen. We all know that. Love that call. Player, this one's a unanimous so far in the guys we've had on there. The player you'd least like to fight. Okay, I'm guessing they said Aaron Donald, but here's where they're wrong. Like, yes, Aaron Donald murders me. Aaron Donald murdered, like, okay, but like 80% of the NFL murders me. So I'm going to say Justin Tucker because that's, it would be so embarrassing if he kicked my ass. I've gone out on Twitter and said, you know, kickers are useless. I hate them. I don't want them in football. And it, it would just damage me, you know, both personally and publicly if like Justin Tucker just beat my fucking ass like on a pay-per-view or something like that. So to me, like my nightmare would be losing a fight against a kicker. I'm not saying that I would ever lose to a kicker. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, that's just a no-win situation. Like that's the only NFL player that you could fight where like all of a sudden the pressure would be on you to try to win would be a kicker. I, I like the call. Like you'll take, <laughs> you'll take the physical beat down, but keep your pride. Yeah. Versus, right. <laughs> the emotional scars that you'll live with forever. If Justin Tucker <laughs> gave you an ass whooping. I love that one. That's fantastic. Uh, most intriguing coaching hire of 2021. Like Arthur Smith and the Falcons, you know, Hey, what, what if, what if, you know, Arthur's just, you know, hitting the, hitting the pipe a little bit too hard. And he's like, you know, Mike Davis looks more and more like Derrick Henry uh, by the day we got Matt Ryan bounce back potential. I don't think he's washed. His arm looks fine, but let's face it. He hasn't been the same guy uh, since his MVP season. And, you know, just with the weapons that are in place, Falcons defense isn't good, but they have like a, like the Falcons are like a less sexy kind of version of the Cowboys. I know they're not necessarily super discounted across the board, but it's an offense that could easily finish in the top five in the league if their O-line could take a little bit of a step forward. I actually predicted that. I think the Falcons lead the league in touchdowns this year. So I like we'll that. see yeah. if that happens. I won't leave 2021 fantasy drafts without taking 
Raheem Mostert, he's my number one uh, exposure right now. I loved him before the draft because he was going like RB 28, 30 range. And now he's going lower. Trey Sermon has a higher ADP than Raheem Mostert right now. Like, come on, people. The dude ran for four touchdowns in the NFC Championship game in the year 2020. Draft Raheem Mostert. He's just right now, if you're if you're doing anything resembling zero RB and you don't have Raheem Mostert, you messed up. Yeah, and we had a 49ers beat on uh, Grant Cohen from Sports Illustrated, and he said everybody's discounting Mostert way too early. He's so, awesome, man. He, he is a talented player. We will see what happens there. And last one, 2021, biggest, boldest prediction you got for fantasy football this year? Devontae Smith finishes as a legit top 12 wide receiver one. I'm not ranking them there just yet. So, yeah, I always struggle with these, like, you know. My predicting it if I don't really have him ranked, but I, I could legit see that again. Like if Devontae has like a hundred catches this year, like I you can name just some wild things, and at least I wouldn't be surprised. So wouldn't bat an eye at that. So right. the last three we have are just more so about the industry. Who's kind of your role model or someone you've always looked up to in this industry? Yeah, I'd say Evan Silva. You know, ever since I started, I've considered him the best in the game. You know, he's still doing it over that established run. I know he's not as frequent on Twitter these days as he uh, used to be. So maybe people are, you know, forgetting. But man, he uh, is still definitely the GOAT in my mind. Continues to grind and get better. He's, uh, you know, and what to, to me, what's impressed me most about Evan is like, you know, not he's, you know, helped me uh, over the course of my career, just being very kind and, uh, you know, gracious with his time, not just, you know, podcast, but also just reaching out and, you know, putting in a good word with people. But but he's done that with so many people. And, you know, I, I, I try to do the same, but it's hard, man. We're, we're busy people. And I can't even imagine how, uh, you know, Evan feels with that. So the fact that he's also helped influence so many younger people in our industry, you know, I really think he deserves uh, all the credit given to him and more. 100%. Love that guy too. Yeah. Underrated fantasy sleeper analyst that all of our listeners should follow. My guy who I got to figure out his last name before he comes on my podcast uh, this week, but Kyle Dorfcheck. Double check. I work mm. on it, Kyle, but at Kyle tweets here, found this dude, you know, when he was, and I didn't find him. Fantasy Labs found him and I worked at Fantasy Labs and I just remember seeing this guy's articles and I was like, damn, he's thinking for himself a little bit here. You see in this industry, you know, a lot of the same things repeated over and over again. And to me, Kyle always stuck out as someone that, you know, was trying to put his own twist on things and he's worked really hard. And now he just got hired full time by the artist formerly known as Roto World, whatever they call themselves <laughs> these days. So he's one of the blurbers over there with Roto Pat and company and he's uh, doing his thing so yeah check him out on the pff fantasy football podcast this friday nice man and that's one way to find you is your pff fantasy football podcast where's another reminder of where else our listeners can find you pff.com as we went through earlier in the pod you know 100 questions in 100 days and i'm turning those questions into many podcasts as well so pff fantasy football podcast fantasy files out every single day and also have our wednesday and friday episodes as well on twitter at iheartage trying to keep it loose man we need like a sarcasm button or something on there bro because i've i had this one because one of the things that's pissed me off most this entire cycle so far is just injury you know predictor twitter and how like joe mixon's the only running back that we can like assume is going to get hurt never mind that mccaffrey and saquon <laughs> missed last year that doesn't matter but we'll, we'll penalize mixon for that and chris carson as well even though he's only missed like four games in the past or what was it no he I, you know what i'm saying yeah, but course. It's it's so bad. But I sent out a tweet basically saying like Saquon, like Saquon, Dalvin, uh, you know, CMC, they've they've missed full seasons recently. You can't draft them. I just listed like the first 15 running backs and why you can't draft them. And I legit had people at the end of it being like, you work for PFF and you're saying not to draft a single running back. Like, come <laughs> on, man. So hopefully you all can see uh, through my occasional either 
misinterpreted badly timed whatever you want to call them tweets and uh, you find the good stuff there so bro i you know we, we both grind all year long you know not really not the don't show too much respect to these other sports out there because if you want to try to be the best in football, man, if you're not looking at it every single day, then someone else is. 100%, my man. Well, thank you so much, Ian. It is always, like I said at the top, one of, if not my favorite show every year to catch up with you. Uh, I hope to, to keep in chat all, all summer, man. Best of luck in 2021 with all your work, everything going on. Uh, and, and until next time, brother, cheers. Thanks so much for joining. Cheers to you, Wolfie. Thank you. Hope to have you back in the PFF pod soon, too. Would love it. See ya, buddy. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead. Devlin. Second down. Third down. Touchdown. Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.